You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Rich. Yeah, that's, that's the sermon title. Uh, the sermon may not be what you think it sounds like right there, though. Uh, so I want to start off by actually talking about how good God has been to me, all right? Before we read this passage, I actually, I actually had a really weird night on Thursday night. And this was going to make me sound kind of old, but somebody gave me, I ordered a decaf Americano at 5 o'clock, and they gave me a fully caffeinated Americano, and it completely messed me up. Julie and I had a date that night. Jenny came over. I was like lightheaded to watch. Jenny was watching the baby, the kids. She was babysitting. And I was like, I don't even know if I can drive. But, but I made it. But that night, I could not sleep. I got zero sleep. I think I finally fell asleep at like 5 in the morning. And that never happens to me. I usually hit the bed, and I'm out. But my mind was racing with all of these r- memories from when I was a kid. And like I had this sermon on my mind. On, on what Paul is going to be talking about here, and I just could not get out of my head all of the people in my life that God used that were gracious and generous to me. It was, it was unbelievable. Uh, one of the men, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, this was my, my second job ever. My first job was a paper boy, so I know I'm really actually dating myself now. I'm really sounding old, right? Yeah, was, there, there was paper boys in the 90s? Yeah, there actually was. There actually was. But that, so that was my first job. My second job, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't qualified for it. I'm a seventh grade kid. And this, this guy in our church, my dad was a pastor, uh, him and his wife, Dave and Sue Whitmer, they said, hey, we'd like to hire you to be a farmhand. Keep in mind, the only thing I'd ever picked up was a basketball and a PlayStation controller at this point. And I had no idea how to swing an axe or bale hay or let alone start a tractor, let alone back up a tractor. I had no idea what I was doing. But this guy said, I want to train you, I want to invest in you, and I'm going to actually pay you. Even though it's going to take me twice as long to get this job done, I'm going to bring you out here and, and, and have you work for me. So I started in seventh grade, got paid $4.15 an hour. I had that job all the way up until my senior year of high school. And Dave Whitmer, old Korean War veteran, uh, he just was a patient guy. He was, he was a passionate guy for Jesus Christ. He just went about life. We would just be chopping and stacking wood, and he'd be sharing a story about, about how God moved in his life, maybe a story about back when he was in Korea. But like this guy just through everyday life invested in me. And uh, fast forward you know, to a few years ago, Julie and I felt the call to plant this church. And so we do the thing that you, you have to do when you're starting a church. You have to raise a little bit of money. And the organization, most of you are familiar with this, that was sending us out, wanted me to be full-time as a profession of a pastor. So they said, hey, we're going to pay you the salary for the first year, but you also need to raise some money. So we wrote out letters to people, like raising some support, right? One of the people we sent a letter to was Dave Whitmer. I hadn't talked to him in like, I don't know, seven years probably. Mailed him a letter, and he responded and gave a really big check to the church. Didn't even really know the name of the church yet, but he, he wrote us a check. We're like, wow, how, how amazing is that? Praise God. A month later, he sends us another check. And then another couple weeks after that, he sends us another check. There's a check in the offering plate today from Dave Whitmer because every two to three weeks, 
this guy still writes a check. Do I have a picture of him? Yeah, go ahead and throw that picture up. So like right before we moved here to Spartanburg, we visited him. This is a farm that I used to work at. And he is just a godly man who loves Jesus Christ and who is generous. He's generous with his time. He's generous with his money. He's generous with everything he has. I want to be like that. I want to be more generous, just like that guy modeled. So today's message is about how you can become generous. Where does that come from? And as soon as I say, all right, here's the message on generosity, our natural inclination is to like buckle up a little bit, like, oh, great, here we go. I know where the punchline's going on this one. Give more. And then I have this guilt trip of like, spend less of myself, okay? Like, I shouldn't have bought that purchase last week, and here we are in church. No, we're not going for the whole guilt trip method of like, be better, do more. If, you, if you've been with us at DOXA, that's not where this is going. It's not where this is going. There's a much better solution to how you can actually become rich. God's plan is in this text. So let's read together 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read the first seven verses here for our first point, because there's three points in this message this morning. They're all goals for us to personally have. And let's look at verse 1 together. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave, of, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. Also, So I already told you the title of the message today, and, and if you wrote a book entitled God's Guaranteed Plan to Make You Really Rich, maybe you leveraged what, what credibility you had on that book, uh, you could write a book and you could probably make some money with, with a title like that, right? There'd be some people who would buy that book. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of books that have been written like that. Uh, now, these books are going to have, like, ideas and philosophies and techniques and strategies for saving your money. Like, I've read a couple of those kind of books before, right? But the title in and of itself, God's Plan to Make You Wealthy, is actually not that far off when you read these next couple chapters. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9. We're actually going to be seeing God's blueprint here. God actually has a plan. And to, to give you a review, you know, in the spring, we went through 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7. This, this summer, we took a break. We had a series on the church. And now we're coming into another series. And to give you a review, most of you remember this, but in the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul has been teaching and reminding this church, they've had a lot of problems, but he's been reminding them that you are a new creation 
in Jesus Christ. When, when you find your Savior and you repent of your sin and, and you actually receive forgiveness, it's not just, okay, I'm a Christian now and now I go to church and I'm going to go somewhere better when I die. No, now all things have become new. And when you are saved, you are adopted into the beloved. You, you are a new creation that is, that is living and breathing and alive for Jesus Christ. You are adopted into the beloved. You are eternally rich. So we're not living for the things of this world anymore. That's, that's the whole point of 2 Corinthians up to this point. Think of it like this. It's like when you were a kid, you go to Chuck E. Cheese's, right? You remember the currency at Chuck E. Cheese's? Those little coins that you would get? Those coins were awesome as a kid. It's like, yes, I have a whole pile of coins. I'm going to go play games for an hour. And then you take those coins, all those tickets you earn, and you go up to the counter. And they're like, okay, you can get this little squirt gun. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, such an overpriced, jacked up, like, con job on these kids. Like, are you kidding me? I think when you're a Christian, if you think about earthly money and the treasure that we have, think with me on this. It's just like the, the Chuck E. Cheese currency, okay? A lot of times we think of it like cryptocurrency, like the money I have in my pocket. Oh, yeah, look at what I'm going to do with this. Look at all these things that I can get and attain and, and enjoy. No, the money we have right now compared to the riches that we have in eternity it is literally a kid's game. You have it for an hour, and then you spend it on stuff that you throw away later on, right? That's what happens with those Chuck E. Cheese toys. I mean, don't tell my kids, but we throw those Chuck E. Cheese toys away like the very next day because I don't want that junk laying around the house. Like, it's just, it's going to break anyway, right? That's the way it is with our earthly treasure. The clothes we buy. We've been married for almost 10 years now. I don't know how many styles of clothes we've gone through in 10 years. It's like, oh, this one's gone. Kid threw up on that one. That one, that one didn't make it through the, the second time in the wash. Ladies' styles change way more than the men's styles. So, like, they're, they're, all this stuff, it's, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. So understand where we're going with this at the outset. When we say riches, how to, how to become really rich, the Bible, as a, as a Christian who's a member of the church, you have a completely different mindset of riches than the world's mindset. Of riches. Giving is God's guaranteed plan to make you really rich. That's where we're going with this. Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. Just think about that for a minute. It is better to give than to receive. What do you enjoy more? Do you like receiving gifts more? Or do you actually enjoy giving more? It's really easy to give to people you love, right? It's easy to give to your kids. It's easy to give to uh, maybe, your, maybe your significant other that you're, tr you're, tr you're hoping to one day marry. It's really easy to give in those situations. But Jesus says, across the board, flat blanket statement, it is better to give than to receive. And uh, to give you a little peek ahead to where we're going with this series, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So 
we got a lot of work to do. we got a lot of uh, baggage to set aside as we get into this series. Because for most people, the stats actually say this. And I, I don't even know how they ever come up with these kind of stats. Who knows? But the statisticians say that 50% of your waking time, you're thinking about money. How to get it, how to spend it, how to save it, how to earn it, how to invest it, how to borrow it, how to find it. 50% of your waking moments on this earth, most people are thinking about money. And we are living in an indulgent, materialistic culture. And I tell you what, it takes a toll on our generosity. And this doesn't just happen from the external culture telling us how to spend our money foolishly. Can't watch the Olympics without seeing like seven commercials now, right? They want you to spend your money. It it goes beyond that. It even goes into like our families and our friends. We're just trying to keep up. We're like, oh, they have this, they have that, and we compare ourselves. So we're treading into some very radical Christian territory here this morning that even professing Christians can sound really good on, but in reality, how are you walking in it? How are you living it out? Um, And so before we go any further, I have, there's like a couple people in our church who they've, they've joked around with me. It's like, hey, whenever you have an intro sermon to a new series, it's my favorite because you always give a little historical background. So we have a couple history buffs out here. You know who you are. So for you two people, I will not disappoint you, and I will actually make a little presentation here about the context, because we saw a lot in those first seven verses, right? Paul's taking up an offering. Uh, this, is, this has been talked about a lot in the New Testament. What, like, Where's this offering going? The, the saints of Jerusalem, why do, they, why do they need this offering? Who are these, who are these Macedonians? Like, who are the people in these churches in Macedonia? Like, they, were, they were in extreme poverty, and they were afflicted, and yet they gave. Two plus two equals ten? Like, what? Like, say that again? Extreme poverty in affliction, and yet here they are the ones whose Paul is modeling as, as being generous for the whole church for, throughout time to look back to. Uh, so let's, let's just talk about this for a minute. Um, the, the offering that Paul is collecting. Why is, why, is Paul, why is Paul doing this? Can't these like sad, sad Jerusalem Christians just pull it together and, and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and like get a job? Like seriously, what, what is up with you guys? Why are you struggling so much that other churches have to like give to you? Well, the first, you know, let's just think back, church history, right? The church was birthed at Pentecost in Jerusalem and the church started growing rapidly. But a lot of these people that are in Jerusalem that start getting saved and as the church starts growing, these are people that came to Jerusalem on a spiritual pilgrimage. Like, they weren't Christians. They were, they were Jews that lived in a different part of the country, and they traveled to Jerusalem because that was the thing that you had to do, and you had to do your religious duty. They get to Jerusalem, they meet some Christians, and they realize, whoa, Jesus was the Messiah. He died for my sin. I will repent. I will actually, now there's a new covenant? Whoa, like this is, this is a totally new faith. And these Christians, now, now Christians, these Jews who are now Christians, they stick around for a little while. It's like, I can't go back now. They'll have my head. 
you know, I, I can't go back now. So they didn't have like a livelihood. They didn't have a job. They, some of them didn't even have like a place to stay. So the people who already lived in Jerusalem, the Christians there are like, all right, come into my house. My house is full. Next Christian, like, hey, yeah, you can stay here for a little while. The early church was extremely generous. We see this in Acts 2 and Acts 4, right? Like they gave. And some people will be like, hey, look, it's communism. Like they all pooled their money together and they like all divvied it out in the commune. That's actually not what the text says, right? The text says those who had land, those who had some possessions, they sold that and they gave it to the people who had needs. So the individuals blessed the people who were, who were hurting, which is the way the church should still function and operate. But the point is you had pilgrims there who didn't even have a place to stay. That was one reason. Next reason was, um, there was there was actual persecution, right? Uh, you know, you, you, you follow Jesus Christ. The same guy the Jews just handed over to Rome, falsely accused and crucified. And now you are saying, that is my God. That is who I'm giving my life for. Well, you know what? There goes your job. There goes your career. So... They had persecution as a factor as well. And then lastly, just the fact that Rome was occupying, the occupation was ha just played an impoverishing effect on the, the culture and on the economy of the time. So this was not a great time. The church was poor. I mean, not a great time fiscally speaking. The church was poor. But it was a grand time and everything else. And, you know, like coming to know Jesus Christ. So you had that factor going on. And then also, this is, this is just helpful when you're reading all, I mean, you see this numerous times in Romans, throughout Corinthians, but like this offering, what else was Paul doing with this offering? Well, he was also building solidarity between the Gentiles and the Jews because there was a dividing wall of hostility between the Gentiles and the Jews until Jesus came and broke that wall down. And now as a church, you have all these people from different walks of life Different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes. Like, I mean, you talk about different backgrounds. It was very different backgrounds. And now you're one in Jesus Christ. And so one of the things Paul used was, hey, we're going we're gonna to actually provide for each other. We're going to give to each other. And he asked these Gentiles in the churches in Macedonia to give to the Jews. And who are these Macedonians, you may ask? Uh, well, again... Similar to what's going on with the Jews, they're in an impoverished area, right? Uh, that area had been under Roman occupation for, at this time, a little over 200 years. And like the preceding years that led up to the early church, the first century, there had been a couple civil wars against the Caesars. A lot of the familiar names that we hear from history, you know, uh, Brutus, Cassius, Antonius, and others, they all fought in these wars and it was basically a war-torn area. That's, that's what we're dealing with. But the church is like the church in Philippi. They still gave. So there's your historical background. Back to the text. What does the Spirit emphasize in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the Macedonians' gifts towards the Jerusalem saints? What is the emphasis here? We'll look at it again. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Okay? 
That's the first thing it said. That has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. As we go through this whole chapter, you are going to see over and over again, Paul doesn't make it this whole point of, hey, look, be like the Macedonians. Be like the Macedonians. Look at how great they are. Look how much, how much they gave. He calls their giving an act of grace. The emphasis is on the fact that they are actually being vessels used by God to show grace, the grace of God. And that's fleshed out by their giving. Um, as I already alluded to, these Macedonians, they were in a bad spot themselves. So you can rule out wealth off the top. Wealth is not a necessary component of being generous. It never has been. It never will be. And if you're thinking in your mind, because I used to be this way, oh, yeah, once I make a little bit more money, then I can give. <laughs> if you think that way, guess what? Until you change your thinking there, you will never give because you can make way more than I ever make, way more than anyone in this room makes, and you will still have a problem giving to others if you think it's mine and this is what I earned and this is what's going to keep me secure. It starts with this mindset that like, wait a minute, I have been given grace and God's grace is now something that I want to share with others. The emphasis throughout chapter 8 is on the grace of God, grace-giving. So Paul is not manipulating or guilt-tripping the Corinthians. No, it's God's grace that has empowered the Macedonians to give this way, and that same grace is available to you as well. It's available to you and I. Look at how this happened in verses 5 through 7 again. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. So you could just, every time you say giving in 2 Corinthians 8, you could actually just replace it with act of grace. They're one and the same. Paul is calling giving an act of grace. And excel in verse 7 is the exact same Greek word as the word overflowing in verse 2. We have two different translations in English, but in the original Greek, it's the exact same word. So to excel is like overflowing. We're going to come back to this in a, in a little bit, but I don't want to. I want to plant the seed, the seed in your mind right now. Like, are you overflowing in your giving? Something between you and God that you need to work through. Are you overflowing? Are you excelling in that? Um, did I cover the Did I cover the first point? Go ahead and put the first point up there, Jacob. Thanks, man. Um, that's the first point. Make it your aim to excel in giving. So just like we want to grow in our faith, right? We want to grow in our love. How do we grow in our love? Well, the more you see how much God loves you, 
the more you're in the word, the more you experience his goodness and his graciousness to you and you see all the loving things that he has provided for you. Just like a child who sees how much their parent did for them, like, we respond in more love. We want to grow in love. We want to grow in faith. We want to grow in all these aspects. I want to grow in my spiritual understanding. I want to understand more about the Bible. I want to grow, grow in my theology understanding. Yes, we want to grow in all these areas. You also need to be growing in generosity. You need to be growing in giving. So giving is not just some static thing, like, all right, well, I'm either half empty, you know, half full, whatever, halfway there, I'll start tithing 5% more like next year and, and I'll get there. And then, okay, I've, I've arrived, I made it. You know what? I got, that I got that cup just where it needs to be. It's not too full so that when I pick it up and somebody slightly bumps me, the water falls out of the glass. You know, you know what I mean? Like my, our kids are, are, are classic at this. Like every time they go fill up a cup, they fill it to the brim and then immediately stuff will fall out the second they take that first step, right? You had to learn how to just get that little, little bit of space in there. It's perfect. That's where we want to be with our giving, right? 10%. Get it comfortable. No, no you know, little room for spillage. You know, emergency happens. I got, I got, a, I got a buffer there. That's not what we see in Scripture. We definitely don't see the half, half full. We don't even see the proper, proper amount, right? We see the word overflow. You want to, the goal here for the member of the church is to excel at this. So I'm not going to be content. Hey, I made it. It took me six years to get here, but we are now giving 10% of our income to tithes and offerings. Praise God. Pat myself on the back. I've arrived. I'm a good Christian now. Look at me. I'm not guilty anymore. That is a terrible thought, but that's where like a lot of people in the church live. I'm, I'm giving 10%. Now I can bank more into retirement, have some fun, go on like another vac extra vacation. Like that's the way people operate. That's not what we see in the text. We see this idea that you should have the desire to grow to the point that you are overflowing. I've heard, I, I've talked to people like this, and I've, I've never been there personally, but they talk about how, like, yeah, my goal is to give more every single year. Every single year. Um, what's his name? He, was, uh, he wrote a lot of songs that we have in our hymnals. Um, it'll come to me. I'll tell you later. But there's, there's an old, famous Christian, uh, Wesley, Charles Wesley. That's who it was. He actually tithed his, his there's a story about how his whole, his whole salary structure, he, he made like 41, whatever it was, I don't even know the name of the currency, he made 41, and he knew that he could live off of 39. So he gave, he gave two out of the 41, he gave everything he didn't have to live off of. The next year, his salary went up to 45. So he's like, all right, I still, I'm still living, on, still living on 39, so now I'm going to give six. The year after that, his salary doubled. His salary completely doubled. Guess what? He didn't change his living expenses at all. I'm still going to live on 29. He gave twice as much to the church, to God's people, to other needs outside of the church. He did that for like 15 straight years, and he never changed his living expenses once. Again, my goal isn't to guilt you, because I mean, I'm guilty of this just like everyone. I'm not trying to like say that's what you need to do. I'm just giving you an example of somebody who believed this and knew that this is what God called them to do. 
to excel in giving. So which one does describe you? Are you the cup, are you the cup that's half full, half empty, half full, depending on the day? Are you filled reasonably to where you need to be at the top to, to, for under the normal situation, or are you just absolutely overflowing? You know what? We made some extra here. This person's in trouble. This person's in need. I'm going to give to them. Where are you at? Are you excelling in the area of giving? Which one describes you? Next, Paul is going to explain something else. Um, you may be thinking, well, exactly what is the grace of God? You know, David, that's such a churchy phrase, the grace of God. I knew I would hear that when I, when I came to church on Sunday because that's what Christians say. That's just one of their words. But I don't see a lot of grace of God out there in this world in my life. Maybe you're thinking that. Well, Paul explains it. Look again at verse 8. This is where we're going to step into the second point. The second point is find your motivation from the grace of God. So let's read verses 8 through 15. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I love how verse 9 gives us a definition of grace. Love is grace-empowered giving. This could be a bonus point from our message last week on, on how to have genuine love, right? That whole message was about how you can have genuine love. Well, you know what? One of the evidences of that is your generosity. You can't claim to know Jesus and fail to be generous. Verse 9, though he was rich, he became poor for you so that you might become rich. That's the grace of God. And we're not talking about financial riches, right? We're not talking about Chuck E. Cheese currency. We're talking about the real thing. We're not living for small stakes anymore. We're not chained to the slavery of like, I got to make more money, I got to have enough money, and I'm going to just work my tail off in the vicious rat race to get a little bit ahead. And then the second I get ahead, I make a stupid decision on my investment, and then I lose that money, and then it's back from square one again. And then I have like one good year, have some reprieve, and then, oh, no, this this event happened because this is life. And back we go again on the hamster wheel. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about living beyond that to the point where you're not dominated in your thinking by how much you have in your bank account. We're not talking about those, those green federal note papers in your wallet, if you have any. If you're like me, you don't really have any of those. 
We just have the credit card, the plastic card. Sorry, Dave Ramsey. Uh, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about riches that are way above and beyond the stuff that we spend our money on right now. And God's love is not stale. It's multifaceted. This is something that we go over all the time. You can put this slide up too, Jacob. Uh, this is something that if you've been with us, you hear us emphasize this because I believe it enriches our gratefulness and our thankfulness to our God. But what's, you know, you hear God is gracious, God is merciful. What's the difference? What's the difference? Do you see it up here? God's mercy is withholding something from you that you deserve. Because of our sin, what do we deserve as the consequence of our sin? Death. The punishment of sin is death. It's separation from God. We deserve judgment. But by God's mercy, he chose not to give us the judgment, but to put it on his son, Jesus Christ, who bore our pain, bore the wrath of God on our account. That's the mercy of God. But he didn't stop there. He doesn't just reserve judgment and give us what we actually deserve. Not only does he not, not do that, but he gives us grace. This is the overflowing part of the cup, okay? Grace is God giving you something that you don't deserve, you have no business having eternal life, a newness, a hope, a joy, a peace. Like, remember, you rebelled against God. He saved you, and he's going to give you and bless you with all these things anyway. That's the grace of God. Jesus was exalted. He had all the riches of glory, yet he took on flesh. He became a man. He became poor. He suffered. He was tempted. He was hungry. He went through pain and suffering and crucifixion. He didn't have a place to lay his head. His poverty extended to his death, but he came to save sinners, even though he was misunderstood and rejected. Instead of being an honored king, he was mocked and spit on. He was considered to be a failure. Worse than physical pain, Jesus Christ suffered the emotional pain and suffering that goes with dealing with the wrath of God for our sin. And in his humility, he never ceased to be God. He suffered willingly. He kept his mouth shut. Why? What? How? How did God do that? And why did Jesus do that? Again, I'll point you back to verse 9. The answer is right there in verse 9 so that you, by his poverty, might become rich because he loves you. And he's a good giver of good gifts. He paid the debt of our sin. He left us the riches of salvation. And that is good news for everyone who turned from their sin and trusts him. Jesus was not obligated to do this. We didn't, we didn't do anything to cause him to say, like, ooh, I got I to gotta sacrifice everything for that person because they're just so amazing. It's not how it worked. We were unlovely. And he, through his agape love, chose to love us anyway, sacrificially gave his life for you and me. That's where generosity comes from, the grace of God. 
Once you realize the grace of God in your life, do you see God that way? Or do you look at God like a stingy God? Like, well, he wants this for me again. All right, I guess I'll have to give him Sunday morning. Yeah, I could be, uh, I could be out on the lake right now, but I got to give him that 10 to noon. Got to do that. No. Do you look at God like a stingy God? Oh, you really want 10%? Come on. You can't afford 10%. God, you could give me a little bit more, and then I can gladly give you, give you enough. If I didn't have to worry about all these bills and all these extra things, then sure, I could tithe 10%. Do you look at God like he's a taker, taking the stuff that you own? Or do you look at it like, wait a minute, God has given me everything I have. I don't deserve this. And he has graciously overflowed my cup to the point that I have way more than I ever need. I have salvation. I have hope. I have peace. I have joy. I have relationships with other people who love Jesus Christ. And I am just so fired up about that that I can't wait to give to someone else because it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see how the New Testament idea of becoming really rich is completely antithetical to everything you've ever heard on TV or in the news or in college or you name it in this world about riches? It's not the same. We have to think about this differently. If you see God as stingy, it's easy to trust in money. Things are tight. All right, I'm starting to worry. What do you think the effect of fear has on your giving? I'll speak from experience. Having fear about what's going to happen next absolutely kills giving. Fear is the number one enemy to giving generously. Because if you're worried and you have fear and you don't know what's going to happen next and, it's, and you're focused on that and you're not thinking about God provided God loves me, he's promised he will take care of me, well, then I'm going to hold on to what I have. I'm going to be stingy because that's my refuge. See, when the Macedonians found God, they found the grace of God, and they gave eagerly. They, they wanted to do this because they gave themselves to the Lord. They entrusted their entire selves to God, so they were freed from worry. They didn't have much. They had affliction. They had poverty but they had God. And they said, I want to give because God gave me so much. If you leave here today motivated to give more out of fear and manipulation, I have not done my job, okay? I don't care how much you give. God wants your heart. That's all I'm trying to say. That's what we're talking about today. Don't be motivated by guilt or I guess it's the right thing to do or I want to please God. No, 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 no. Jesus never motivated anybody by any of those external things. The way he wants you to be motivated is through love. Do you see the grace of God in your life? Do you feel how much he gave you? When you see that, you want to give. God wants your heart. This is not a do-better message. This is an encouraging message because if you are in this room and you know Jesus Christ, you have been given more than you ever deserve. And I'm just here to remind you of that. 
That's what I'm trying to do. Think about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in your life. I had Dave Whitmer. I had my mom and dad. I had a guy named Al Dean. That's another one that I was thinking about on Thursday night when I was on my caffeine high and I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> Al Dean, another guy in the church. This is one of the advantages of being like in a small church. My dad was a pastor. It was a small church. Like Everybody knew everybody. I knew the adults. They knew me. It was, it was, it was awesome. Al Dean had a 1976 Plymouth Fury. He drove this car two miles to work to his upholstery shop every single day for 25 years. Nothing but get in his Plymouth Fury, drive two miles to work, drive it home, park it. That's all he did with his car. Year 2000 rolls around. He's like, hey, you know what, David? I'd like you to mow my grass this summer. And if you mow my grass this summer, I will sell you this car for the wages of you just mowing the grass. And again, this guy didn't ask for it, wasn't looking for it. He was like, um, let's just talk. You know, we mow the grass. I mess up. Hey, let me, let me show you something here, David. He was patient with me. He was kind to me. He was gracious and generous. Think about all the people that God has put in your life like that. Think about how amazing it would be to be a person like that for someone else. That's how the church makes a difference. When we are known by our love for one another, and generosity is just an overflowing byproduct of loving one another. We were dead in our sin. We were lost. We were grinding the nine to five. We were trying to get all these side hustles in to get ahead for what? We weren't getting anywhere. We were lost. We were dead in our sin. And when we found Jesus Christ, we received the grace of God. And now he's asking us and calling us to also dish out the grace of God. That excites me. That's awesome. Verse 12 says, give according to your means. Give something that is acceptable to God. It's an act of worship. What makes a gift acceptable? It's not the monetary value, right? Notice there's no figures here in this text. It's the readiness. It's the willingness of the heart. Do you see that in verse 12? The IRS will take your money any way they can get it, right? They do not care about you giving them generously at all. They just don't care. God cares about that. God cares about your heart, where you're at. On the other hand, God doesn't need your money. He's not wringing his hands, concerned how he's going to pay his bills, because he owns it all. He's more concerned about your heart than how much you give. And that's why Jesus, in his parable, commended the widow who gave just a tiny little bit. But in her heart, she was ready and she was willing and she enjoyed giving. And that means more than the monetary value. So we talked a lot in Malachi about tithe and 10%. Uh, and I tell you, our church, I, I've, I've been very, very surprised at the giving of our church in 2021. We've, we've never had a year like this. You know, we had, we had one bad month. Um, well, I mean, bad. It was still over budget. It, but, but it just shows you, like, the giving is still up and down. I, I understand that. But we're growing in that. So this isn't David as a church, as the pastor, saying, hey, give more to the church. I'm just saying what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, check your heart. It's more blessed to give than receive. When you see the grace of God, you know what you need to do with that. 
you need to give, right? So that's what we're asking you to, 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 to process and to think through and go to God about. Now the third challenge, number three, it's going to be a quick one. Number three is ask yourself what your generosity says about what you love. Look at verses 16 to 24. And we'll be back in this passage next week. This is our intro sermon, but verse 16. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that one should blame us, so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So Titus was the man who administered this offering. Uh, you also see in this, there was a couple other men that were with Titus. There was financial accountability. They were doing this above board in the right way. He's letting the Corinthians know, hey, I'm sending you a guy over here who loves Jesus, who's going to be carrying out this. He's going to be carrying the bag, and he's going to be delivering it. This is the real thing that I want you to do. And if you remember our, uh, our previous series in 2 Corinthians, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems, right? With Paul, they had all these, these, these teachers, these leaders that were like the super apostles, right? They attacked Paul. They cut him down. They elevated themselves. When all of this disharmony was going on in the church of Corinth for a while, the church stopped giving. They had started that offering, and then they stopped which is par for the course. When your heart's not right, you're not going to give, right? So Paul is saying, look, I'm sending Titus. Let's finish what God called us to do, and we're going to finish up this offering and do it the right way. We're going to give to the, the disciples and the Christians that are in Jerusalem. There's a lot that could be said here, um, and we're going to hold some of this for next week. Worship team, you can come up. But I just want to talk in closing about what your generosity says about what you love. Titus loved God. He loved Jesus. And then he loved people because of that. And because he loved people, he cared about going out of his way, taking his time to collect an offering and to give. You think Titus was making very much money when he was doing this whole thing? Doubtful. I don't think Titus was making a whole lot. I think Titus was giving of himself. He was giving precious years in the prime of his life to go around and collect an offering to give to other people. That says a lot about what Titus loved. Greed is a subtle poison 
that will make your life miserable. It will consume you throughout the day. It can make you mean and cruel. Money will make you envious. It can leave you tortured by the fact that other people have the things that you want and what you think you deserve. Do you think there's more greedy people in the world than generous people in the world? What do you think? The truth of the matter is most people, if you ask them, they would say, hey, are you, are you a greedy or a generous person? If you were to ask somebody that, what are they going to say? How many people are going to be honest? I'm a, I'm a generous person. I know what I give. But if we were to actually poll the assembly here this morning, like, you know, what's, you know, how many people are greedy? How many people are generous? Well, when you think about other people, it's a pretty easy answer, right? There's more greedy people out there than generous people. We don't like to classify ourselves and put ourselves in that greedy category. And I'm not here to do that. I don't, I don't, even, I don't even want to go there, right? Are you a greedy or generous person? Well, you know what? On some days, I'm greedy. Some days, I'm generous. This goes down to each individual decision you're making. Every day, like you, in the same day, you can do something that's very greedious. You can do something that's generous. So it's not about a title over your head. I want to change and be this better person. No, again, not that. This is about the gift of grace. The grace of God that transforms the way we act and think and feel, transforms what we think about. There are a lot of people in our church who, who could care less about money. They have given money to this church. This church is blessed, and we're grateful for them, thankful for them. They do that because they have a heart that's trans trans been transformed by Jesus Christ. You're never going to be a generous person until you know Jesus Christ. Fully generous in every, every facet of your life. You have to see the love of God to be that kind of person. Greed can make you a workaholic. It can be the controlling factor of your schedule to where it dominates you and it, it makes you marginalize those who even you care about the most. It's spiritually devastating. Stand up with me. And I want you to think about this verse. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon isn't exactly money, okay? Mammon is everything you can get with money. It's the whole, like, like wealth and fun. And, 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 like, mammon is just anything that money can buy, okay? Jesus told us, you can't serve God and live for stuff. Don't you dare put stuff in the place of your God. Receive the grace of God. Remember what God did for you. He sent Jesus, his only son, into this world as a sinless savior to sacrifice himself on the cross for our sin. That's the point of this message. Jesus loved you. He gave to you everything. And the grace of God is what changes us. Let's sing about that.
is no grave. 